The following seniors talk was given by Susan Sayan Wilder. Sayan began meditating in 1974, first with the nascent Insight Meditation Society, before discovering Zen practice several years later. In 2011, she served as chief disciple at Zen Mountain Monastery. She has spent the last 30 years working as a clinical psychologist and now lives close to the monastery along with her husband Sanjo, who's also a Sangha member. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation, please visit our website, zmm.org donate. Thanks for listening. What a beautiful August summer day. It's beautiful up here every season. This is the perfect August summer day. So hello to everyone at home. And to those of us lucky enough to be gathered here, practicing together. Looking around this room, it's so good to see so many old friends. To those of us who have not yet officially met, it feels like we already know each other, having spent two days practicing session. To those at home, it's just amazing to be practicing together over time and space, especially if you're my age. So this has been a particularly year and a half. So I thought we could pause a moment and reflect and perhaps offer prayers before we start out today to all those who have suffered so greatly and to those who are continuing to suffer through the pandemic. <clears throat> so let us offer prayers to all within this profound interconnected web of being let us hold the entirety of this universe present in our hearts and recognize and connect with all we are a part of, this profound, interconnected mystery called life. My name is Sayan, and I am a senior lay student. Part of our training as senior students is to give talks. So I deeply appreciate you all supporting my training. This talk is offered out of boundless gratitude to Sugimoshi and to all the precious teachings and teachers I have had the blessed good fortune to encounter. So please, if you receive anything from this talk today, please dedicate any merit received to all sentient beings. This world is in such need of love, support, and wisdom. Please dedicate anything you may receive to all beings in the 10 directions.
I would like to speak today on the Sutra of Great Compassion. We chant the Sutra each morning at the monastery prior to work practice. I would like to begin by having us chant together so that it will be real and embodied for us all. Please engage your full body, mind, and heart as this is our life. Sutra is a word that implies a string or a thread, that which sews and holds things together. In Buddhism, sutra refers to the teachings of Shakyamuni Buddha. This sutra, then, is a string which holds the Buddha's teachings together. In Zen specifically, liturgy is an integral part of our practice. So how many of us enthusiastically embrace liturgy when we first entered Zen? Not me. I used to love the story that Dida would tell that when um, liturgy came early on in his training, he would run out of the Zendo. So that was very reassuring to me. For me, the calling card of Zen was Zazen and the opportunity to study with a teacher. Yet over time, liturgy has become a most precious and intimate friend, a refuge for me within practice. Daito Roshi, in his book, The Eight Gates of Zen, describes liturgy as making visible the invisible. 
What is this invisibility that is being referred to? Until the invisible becomes visible, we live a disconnected, dualistic life, seeing everything as other and separate. When we see everything as dualistic, we instinctively default to finger-pointing, blaming, whenever we feel problems arise. It is always the other, your fault, rather than recognizing maybe I had something to do with it. It is hard for all of us to recognize our interconnectedness and interdependence. This sutra that we just chanted is called the Sutra of Great Compassion. The Great Compassionate One goes by many names. Kanzeon, Kanon, Chenrizig. The Great Compassionate One is the Bodhisattva with a thousand eyes and a thousand arms. This is the bodhisattva who sees, hears, and feels the sounds and cries of the world and responds with one boundless heart for the benefit of all. This sutra, which we chant every day before work practice, is for me an inspiration, a reminder, a motivator, for us to practice. It is calling out and naming the essence, the heart and soul of what the Dharma is. For me, this sutra offers a description of the bodhisattva we all aspire to be and why it is worth getting out of bed in the morning and engaging our life. When we chant Kanzeon at one with the Buddha, who are we invoking? Whose name are we calling? Whose form are we asking to please show up? Where is the Buddha we are turning to? Who do we imagine we are invoking to show up? We are taught from the beginning that Buddhism is a non-theistic religion. So who are these altars? Who are the Buddhas on the altar? Who is it we're turning to? What do these images, who do these images represent? Shaman, during June session, gave a wonderful talk on our practice being a practice of recognition. In the Dharma, we are taught over and over again that we are already perfect and complete. We are not adding one drop, not taking away one tiny thing. Absolutely nothing in our training or practice adds or takes away anything. 
We are merely recognizing the truth, the reality of what is already inherently present within each and every one of us and every being in this world. Do we honestly believe this, really? Or do we think this means everyone but ourselves, everyone but the one who is chanting? In her talk, Shoan spoke of the skillful means, the upaya the practice offers, as actually providing hints. Hints to help us, nudge us, point us to recognizing that which is already present. I once heard a teacher remark that wisdom and skillful means are the two wings that enable a bird to fly. We already have the wisdom within us, but without the skillful means to reveal our inherent wisdom and allow it to manifest, we are unable to fly. The skillful means offered to us during this week of session includes liturgy, service positions, orioki, work practice, sleeping in dorms, waiting for the bathroom. Need I say more? These skillful means combined with the zazen of looking at our minds cooks the teachings that we are being offered right here, right now, in this pressure cooker of session. If we can only recognize the external form of the Buddha, the one whose form is on the altars, that is fine. No worries. Just please remember, the external Buddha's forms and teachings are hints. Hints that encourage and nudge us to come home to who we are. This Buddha we are coming home to, this Buddha whose, en- whose essence is boundless compassion and wisdom, this Buddha is empty of a reified self. Turning towards the Buddhas on the altar is a preliminary practice of cultivating our heart, mind, and life. We are softening our mind, familiarizing ourselves with the external Buddha over and over and over again until we come home to the meeting of the true Buddha who has been with us since the beginning of time. These practices... This precious form, this holding container of session, are helping us to compost ourselves, to transform into our true Buddha selves. All the material is already here within us. 
Kanzeon, at one with the Buddha. When we get out of bed in the morning and engage our life, can we be one with the Buddha? Related to all Buddhas in cause and effect. Can we appreciate what is being pointed out here? Related to all Buddhas in cause and effect. Karma. The interdependence of all things. The expression of ourselves and our lives. One does not have to be a Buddhist to recognize if we plant a seed and the causes and conditions are right, it will bear fruit. What is invisible to us until we enter practice is that our body, speech, and mind are the seeds that we plant in the fertile field called our life. Karma explicitly tells us everything, absolutely everything, is interdependent and co-created. Everything arises out of the interdependence of all things, and karma then manifests as appearances with the ripening of causes and conditions. Padmasambhava, the great teacher who brought Buddhism to Tibet, said, my view is as vast as the sky, my conduct as fine as barley flour. Our view needs to be vast as the sky, nothing left out, nothing. Every single thing we say or do fundamentally matters. We are all deeply connected. Therefore, every single action, every single word matters. My view is as vast as the sky. My conduct as fine as barley flour. So what would it take for us to truly realize that whatever we do and say matters profoundly? When we actually look at our lives as we practice, we begin to see how we co-create everything. We come to realize that we are burdened by our conditioning and our habits of self-centeredness and reactivity. Waking up to this reality We are fortunate to be offered medicine to help with our self-centered illness. In practice, this medicine takes the form of the six perfections, the six paramitas. Generosity, ethical conduct, patience, joyous effort, meditation, and wisdom. These six parameters are offered to us to protect others from ourselves and to protect ourselves 
from creating and generating karma that creates mayhem and madness in our lives. This is the real medicine. If we are constantly generating karma that keeps us in a confused, dualistic state of mind, we are unable to see our true nature. The mayhem and karma we continually create results in the arising of obscurations, which prevent us from connecting with our true selves, who we really are. These self-created karmic obscurations are like mud, covering our bright, loving, connected heart. There is no way we can manifest the Buddha within when we act from the perspective of a dualistic, reified self. Related to all Buddhas in cause and effect, is reminding us, wake up. Wake up. Take stock. Everything we think, say, and do really, really matters. Pema Chodron says, we live in a painful, self-centered prison called me. Dr. John Dunn, senior practitioner, professor, and translator, teaches us how to get out of this me prison. The paramitas, he says, teaches us to pull us out of our self-focus so wisdom can arise. He goes on to emphasize that the first five paramitas Generosity, ethical conduct, joyous effort, patience, and meditation build on each other and infuse and inform each other. As a result of all of them building, interconnecting with each other, the sixth parameter wisdom arises and manifests spontaneously. The first five parameters are the activity of the relative, subject and object, you and me. As our innate wisdom arises, all the paramitas become one dynamic expression of wisdom. And our life becomes an expression of this wisdom activity. This is the expression of absolute bodhicitta. This is the heart of Kanzayan. To realize the essence of these teachings for ourselves, we must fertilize our life's field with the six paramitas. We can't pick and choose, I like one, and leave out the other. It's one intact family. It is clear all six paramitas must be practiced with heartfelt effort 
as they are codependent and interconnected. Only then can we manifest our bodhisattva vow and our life's harvest will be truly bountiful. And the sutra continues. To the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. When we enter the Dharma and begin to practice, we are taught to take refuge in the three jewels, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. How many of us appreciate that there are three jewels, not just our own practice, and that all three jewels are integral, completely interconnected to our lives and practice? What is it that makes the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha three jewels? For me, from the beginning, the Buddha and Dharma were clearly bright, precious jewels that were easy to respond to. When we enter practice, most of us are really tired of the same old, same old. We have come to realize something is very, very wrong. Perhaps we are not exactly sure what it is that is wrong, but we are getting tired of the same old soup reheated over and over and over again, even if occasionally shows up with a different label. Taking refuge in the Buddha and Dharma comes fairly easily. The Buddha is pointing the way, he figured it out, and has the lamp of the Dharma to guide us. These teachings on the nature of reality are real medicine for those feeling confused and unwell with life as we know it until now. It has taken me a long time to appreciate the rare preciousness of the Sangha Jewel. Mingyur Rinpoche says, Sangha is where the rubber meets the road. It is easy to be on a relaxed beach, enjoying the beauty, quiet, and peace, as it is easy to be on the cushion alone in our house or hermitage or some cozy spot. Walk into a zendo, a monastery, a place of practice, we are stunned, grasping, insecurity, irritability, anger, fear, jealousy, competitiveness. Did I leave anything out? <laughs> the entire rainbow of our human experience, here it is just waiting for us even as we are all running away as fast as we can from all the painful triggers of our lives. It is all here. Such fertile fada, especially delivered so we can bring our practice to life. As the years go by and we all slog through the sea of samsaric creation, the Sangha has become a precious, dear jewel 
beyond anything I could imagine. Sangha is a great blessing that reveals itself increasingly over time. We have the opportunity within Sangha to compost all the afflictive emotions and triggers that haunt us. As we engage our bodhisattva vows, we not only begin to see our own Buddha nature, but we recognize the Buddha nature of all beings. Sangha. This place of practice and training is a real blessing. When we experience for ourselves how essential each jewel is, the wisdom of the Buddha's teaching shines brightly. With regard to taking refuge, I have found it vitally important to create a liturgy ritual before engaging zazen. It is crucial we reflect and contemplate on why we are sitting zazen and what we are doing when we take our seat on the cushion. Just sitting down and practicing zazen without cultivating, softening, settling our mind is like driving the car at 60 miles an hour and slamming on the brakes and imagining we're going to relax our mind. Ken McLeod, a Western translator, author, and teacher, offers a refuge prayer that I repeat every day at the beginning of my daily practice. These prayers for me provide the fertilizer for my mind's field, enabling liturgy, zazen, and my life to bear fruit. I say this refuge prayer after first reciting and reflecting on the four thoughts that turn the mind. The refuge prayer, as offered by Ken McLeod, goes, I take refuge in the Buddha when I transcend the dualism of self and other, or internal and external. I take refuge in the Dharma when I recognize the unity of awareness, emptiness, and experience. I take refuge in the Sangha when I do not grasp, avert, or ignore whatever arises. I find this refuge, this hint, this reminder, helpful countless times a day. I invoke this refuge prayer when I feel activated, reactive, and enchained by my conditioned, reified self. I find invoking this refuge so, so helpful. Can we remember to take refuge when we are going off the cliff, rather than throw logs on the fire of our self-centered, reactive behavior? Can we take refuge in our vow, 
to look at our own mind and to not point fingers, react, cause chaos. Let's remember to invoke. I take refuge in the Sangha when I do not grasp, avert, or ignore whatever arises. As we wake up to the endless confusion of the samsaric world, we are all caught up in this world of endless suffering. Taking refuge is truly sheltered from the storm. Practicing this taking refuge is yet another encouragement or hint as to how we can find our way home to where we are all longing to live. As our minds and therefore our lives begin to change, by taking refuge, we feel overwhelming gratitude for having encountered these precious teachings. What was faith transforms into confidence. The sutra continues, joyful, pure, eternal being. Who is this referring to? Who, what is this joyful, pure, eternal being? Thich Nhat Hanh, a beloved Zen meditation teacher, said, when you love someone, you want to offer that someone something, a gift something special. What could we offer that is more precious than ourselves being free from our self-centeredness? Imagine showing up for someone and being able to offer just spontaneous presence, to deeply listen. When we love someone, Thich Nhat Hanh reminds us Our spontaneous, embodied presence is the most important thing we can offer. This, he says, is not something we can buy. We can only cultivate that which is already within ourselves. And it is the most precious of gifts. Our Buddha nature our natural, unobscured state is a joyful, pure, eternal being. This is truly showing up, present, embodied, open-hearted. This is embracing the cries and sorrows of the world keeping our heart open within the wisdom prajna teachings. Within this heartbreaking reality of samsara is the joyful, eternal heart of compassion. This compassion within all of us arises from our inherent wisdom and the ground of reality. Our natural, spontaneous being is already alive and present. This presence requires nothing 
to add, nothing to create. This is the one who shows up. This is the one who spontaneously manifests when we are not barricaded within our reified self. When we are able to actually step out of the way, this joyful, eternal being manifests spontaneously. This joyful, eternal being is unborn, unceasing, bright and luminous, always within us, never separate from us, regardless of how obscured it seems. And the sutra continues, morning mind is Kanzayan, evening mind is Kanzayan. What is this mind the sutra is pointing to? What are the qualities of mind Kanzayan expresses? The teachings repeatedly remind us this mind is always with us. Morning mind is Kanzayan, evening mind is Kanzayan. We are never, never separated from the mind of Kanzayan. Even if we are unaware of morning mind is Kanzayan, evening mind is Kanzayan. This mind is always present. It is here when we are born. It does not cease when this form we call ourself dies. Mind is boundless. It pervades the ten directions. When the mind is unobscured, its inherent nature of loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity manifests spontaneously. When the mind is unobscured, these qualities, these four immeasurables, arise spontaneously from within. We just need to get out of our own way. These four immeasurables are inherent in all human beings. Like a river that flows naturally when it is unblocked, these qualities of loving-kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity are spontaneously expressed. The six paramitas are the tools, the tools we use to clear the dust clouding our mind. As we practice, as we practice the paramita, at the paramitas and the dust of the mind clears, our behavior changes, our lives transform, and the four immeasurables spontaneously arrive, arise. This is the mind of Kanzayan. This is the mind of all Buddhas and ancestors. This is the mind of wisdom and compassion. And so, this very moment arises from mind. This very moment 
is not separate from mind. Can we open our hearts to the teachings that everything arises from mind? Not one thing is excluded? How can we possibly wrap our cognitive linear conceptual mind around this teaching? We can't. Practice offers us the opportunity to experience for ourselves waking up from the dream and confusion of our self-centeredness. Practice allows us to live a life of connectedness infused with the heart of bodhicitta. Everything we do say matters profoundly. Everything is sacred, nothing left out. This very moment arises from mind. This very moment not separate from mind. Can we truly and intimately see this? This moment, every activity, nothing left out, is the path of awakening. Can we take each moment of activity and engage it as a path of awakening? Meditation is experientially seen into our minds. Practicing zazen allows us to see the display of thoughts and feelings and actually get a glimpse of the essence of our mind and who we are. Meditation offers us the opportunity to experience the nature of our mind so that we can manifest life in an awakened state. By living a life of awakening, we are able to do good and be of service. In closing, I would like to share a story I heard of a senior student in another lineage who went to his teacher after decades of practice and years and years of study and retreat. He asked his teacher, yet again, please, what is the main point? The teacher responded unhesitatingly. Compassion for those who have not yet realized their Buddha nature. Devotion, gratitude for those who have. And a genuine affection for all beings. And the common denominator is love. Can we bring love to this life? Can we give life to Kanzion, the compassionate one? This practice offers us life 
and is our life. Thanks so much for listening. To find out more about the monastery's programs, weekend retreats, and residency, please visit our website at zmm.org.